Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a partnership between Shondaland Audio and iHeartRadio. Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast, your exclusive peek behind the curtain of Shondaland's Bridgerton series. And before we meet our guests this week, here's a brief recap of episode 203. A Bee in Your Bonnet explores Antony and Violet Bridgerton's past, taking us to two pivotal moments, Edmund Bridgerton's death and the birth of Hyacinth. Meanwhile, in the present, Edwina prepares for dinner with the Bridgertons, and a fan-favorite sport breaks out. It's time for Paul Mall. Joining host Gabrielle Collins this week on her deep dive into episode 203 are Bridgerton novel series author Julia Quinn and Lady Violet Bridgerton, Ruth Gemmell. Plus, a little later, we'll hear from Alex Pillay, the director of episodes 203 and 204. Ruth, it is such a pleasure to see you and to welcome you. I have lots of curiosities about how you pour yourself into a role, probably on the complete other end of the spectrum. Did COVID change the set very much? Is that a given? Yes, it did. It It is extraordinary for people to be in masks all day. And although we had the Zed shields once we were doing the scene, it felt normal. But So then we were suddenly being normal with each other, whereas everybody else is still very much masked up. And, and also the amount of testing, and you couldn't really have been lovely to bring people to set. And also, because you're bubbled up, really, you you end up, I did, for the entire year, I hardly saw any friends or family, <laughs> because you run the risk of kind of bringing something in. The, the, the amount of testing was extraordinary, and it, whoever ended up being shown that they had, had it, it was caught before anything. And that was, a, that was an amazing feat, I think. I think it was, it was probably the safest place I could have been. Wow. Yeah. But a strange, strange year to do it, really, isn't it? Julia Quinn, COVID made it a little different from your first time being on set. You mm-hmm. were there for season one for a day or two, two or three days, actually, weren't you? Yeah. I for, So for season one, I visited London twice. First time I got to go on location later and got to see the, the set that they had built in the large soundstage, which is unbelievable. I mean, that's, it's just mind boggling. So I got to go for season two it was on location at Hampton Court Palace, which was on the soundstage where the, you see a little more of just what's going on. And, and, and in general, it's mostly just there are people running around and they all look incredibly busy. And for the most part, I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> but they seem to be very, very good at their jobs and enjoying it. When Bridgerton season one came out, it definitely felt like it was an escapist kind of thing. This time, I feel like it's not as escapist and very much seeing a little bit more behind the the facade mm-hmm. happen this time around, grounded in the human experience. And it starts, of course, with Greece, with a, with um, although in a very different way, but with uh, Lord Featherington now being absent and the, the predicament that that Featherington household find themselves in. 
So it sort of it impermeates every part of society like it would today, but in different ways like it would today. Jack Featherington coming from the Americas. I don't remember. Is that a departure from the book? Yeah, he's not in the book at all. He's an entirely new character. And I think the father is long dead in the books. You know, this this new plot involving Jack Featherington is entirely new. It's, I like it. It's really fun. By opening this up, by, you know, saying, I'm ceding creative control. I'm giving it to you guys because I want more people involved that we're able to make it this bigger, bolder, more colorful place and world. And even while doing that, before they plot out and figure out season two, which is based on the Viscount Who Loved Me, they've gone through all eight books to really get to know these characters. And I think that's a real testament to how, what a deep dive the writers did, because they've gone through all eight books. Like, I'm not somebody who rereads my own books, but I I did sort of a, a fairly thorough skim because I, I wrote this book called The Wit and Wisdom of Bridgerton, which collected a lot of quotations from the books. And so I had to go back and look at them. And each chapter in this book focuses on a different character. And, and you know, like the Anthony chapter, most quotes come from his book. But Violet obviously comes from all eight of them. And so it was really fascinating to see her interacting with all the children and, and how in many ways she becomes the most developed character of them all. I just, I really love Violet. I just wanted to talk about her a little bit because I love Violet. I feel like we don't see Violet continuously, but she comes around just like the light on a lighthouse and it's just like she like shines that wisdom and she like you know does her thing and she just comes back that's yeah that's how she is to me in especially in this season i think there's that there's a moment when um when she's suggesting certain women to anthony and he sort of says how i can't remember the, the lines now but he i think he sort of puts them down for stupid sort of indiscretions that they've done. And I think she still would like him to go on a date and get to know, that's the point, get to know them, get to know them. Then you make your choice. And if you're not interested, fine, but get to know them. <laughs> I think in terms of having her children marry for love, I think that demands respect and the idea that you give in to every whim of someone else is not respectful. And, and also it's not how her marriage was built. When you are all in the, I guess, like a family room, I am curious if it's one long take sometimes or if it's pieces, because there's often a lot going on. Yeah, there is. It, it, I, I'm not sure the family scenes ever have one long take. Then, then I could be, I could stand corrected, but um, I think simply because everyone has an interjection, everyone at some point, even if it's sort of a hello or something, you know, it's, it's everyone says something. So therefore, <laughs> if there are so many children, <laughs> they, they, that it takes a, it takes a lot, which is probably why it descends into everyone being really raucous. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so sharp, though. I just, it's so good. I love the family scenes. They're always a lot of fun. I mean, clearly, if there's a lot of words to be said, people are very respectful and very supportive and all the rest of it. But uh, I adore my children, absolutely adore my children. And they are they are really funny and they rip the piss out of me. So it's quite it's, it's just a, a nice atmosphere to be around. There's something else I need clarification on, Ruth. Mm -hmm. Costumes and makeup. Throw us in there. Some of those outfits, they are they are embellished by hand. And this lovely team that were working on my dresses, Debs and Steve, and you know, the, all of them were just amazing. And I have never dressed so well in my life, ever. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm a disaster in comparison to Violet. She, she's beautiful. So beautiful. Originally, I had a, a Mr. Pearl corset, which, you know, he's extraordinary in himself. And, you know, people will know Famously, Kim Kardashian wore one. I think it was at the Met Gala, and in, they are extraordinary. But they are unforgiving, really unforgiving. And the corsets are well, yes. You know, I think those things are literally made to get in a car, be taken somewhere, show you show your wares, and then go home again. Whereas all day, from early on until the end of the day, it's hard work. Going to the toilet is a challenge, and uh, mm. <laughs> that was really hard work. 
but I had a new one. So I, so I, it, it was much more flexible. So uh, I'm all over that one for the moment. By request or? You know, I think it was just a, a slight twist in the direction of costume and stuff like that. And it's lovely. Wow. I still find it so interesting that corsets were such an important piece of your pieces because the shape of the dresses, most of them, if not all of them, are... Empire line. Yeah. Yeah. It pulls my stomach in, Gabrielle. That's that's the <laughs> that's the benefit of it. <laughs> Otherwise, Violet would still be looking like she's about to give birth to Hyacinth. <laughs> After the break, we'll hear from director Alex Pillay as he breaks down the filming of some of these heartbreaking backstories. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. Alex Pillay. You're really just trying to like be bumblebees on the wall, if you will, to kind of feel like we were there with you. And you've got two of the episodes that are like, there's like a shift, a huge shift um, for, I think, the entire world of Bridgerton. So we just want to get into that and really how you brought yourself to the to the show and to the script and um, worked with production and the actors. Wow, we got some magic on this show on these two episodes. I'm so proud of, of these fantastic actors. They they lost themselves in in the story, and that must have been a pleasure to work with. We try and create a a working atmosphere where an actor can really connect with their inner soul for one of a better phrase for, for their inner understanding of the human condition mm-hmm. so what we try and do is first of all create a situation so they've got a complete understanding of, of where the character's at and then on the set make that working condition as free and as open as possible uh, within a very tight schedule and all the other practical things so it, it's kind of like a controlled chaos it's 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 like being free but actually doing it within three takes and before lunch which has to be at 145 <laughs> you know it's a very strange thing and what you have to do as as a director is try and allow the actors to forget that and as an actor 
you have to allow yourself to forget that. And this is this is what makes a great film and television actor like Phoebe, uh, like Johnny, like Ruth. You know, they know that they're going to be crying about their dead husband. But actually, yeah, you know, Alex is going to have to move on at 1230 because the, the horses are waiting. It was also really lovely to be able to be given the chance to kind of show why the Bridgertons are the way they are and why she is adamant in a way to have her children marry for love and trying to, well, to show them all, to show them all a different way. And in terms of the some of the, the scenes, particularly when um, Edmund dies, those sort of scenes with Anthony are just wonderful. It was a very safe environment and a, a lovely way to explore that those kind of emotions. We see more of why Anthony is the way he is and the things that happened nine or 10 years prior to his moment right now that has shaped him. My big question is why bees? (laughs) Why bees, Julia? The bees came, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, I'm a bit of a science geek. And so I love the idea of like, you know, like, did they understand allergies? You know, how does that Mm. work? And so that's just kind of, I was like, well, why not a bee sting? And I just thought it was this really interesting thing that I hadn't seen done, not in a romance novel like that. Wow. And, you know, it seemed, in some ways, it seems kind of, I've seen people be like, it's the silliest thing. Like, you know, all this stuff about a bee, people make fun of it as being, they're like, this is bonkers. This is a bananas plot. Except people die of bee stings all the time. This is actually a very real thing that happens. And and think about it. What would it be like if you lived in a time before people understood that? Or or maybe they kind of understood that these things happen, but, you know, they didn't have EpiPens. So I, I love bringing in elements of, you know, medicine and medical history into the books and trying to figure out, well, how was this understood then? Rupert Evans playing Edmund is going to die and Ruth playing Violet is going to run out, pregnant, and cradle his dying body. And we talked a huge amount, uh, me and Rupert, about the anaphylaxis that he's dying from. He's choking to death internally. His throat is closed up. He, He cannot breathe, but what he can do is look his wife in the eyes and love her and my god not only to deliver that then ruth gave us the uh, reply i was wondering where your your head was during all of that for me i would say predominantly in grief because it's i think grief is something we all can identify with as a i lost my mother quite early on and i think i didn't deal with grief very well because you're young you don't know how to and um Mm -hmm. I certainly went through those seven stages if you like but I also Mm -hmm. understandably put her on a pedestal afterwards which also doesn't you know we are all human she was human so we are all flawed in all its wonderful ways but I think that slows grieving the grieving process down and also I think probably now we talk about it more I should think I think we acknowledge that it needs to be dealt with rather than just sat on sitting on it never does anyone any good really does it right right those feelings come up in different quantities if you like but you never forget I think you never get the death of someone you love you you never get past you just learn to live with it, you become a different person. Mm-hmm. And I think, in terms of a, a death of a parent, I think I have I, at the sa- exactly the same time. I felt older than I'd ever felt, but I also felt like a child, and and it didn't make any sense. But I think it's because it's a confusing time. It can remind us that life is so fragile. This little little creature that's a fraction of our size, and like change the course of everything for everyone. In an instant? Oh, yeah. There's kind of two parts to that question, which is why is he so afraid of of dying? And that, I'll I'll address that one first. That is, um, I've never actually said who this was. I I guess it will now. My father-in-law, who is in his 80s now, um, but his father died very, very young. 
And in fact, his father, so this would be my, my husband's grandfather, was one of the first people in the world to get open heart surgery. He'd had um, scarlet fever as a child and as a result had, you know, heart uh, defect because of it. I, I don't know if you call it a defect, but a scarlet fever will, will hurt, will injure your heart. And um, so he's one of the very first people in the world to get open heart surgery and he died on the table. Um, and I believe my, well, gosh, I think my father-in-law was in college when it happened. So his, his father was in his late forties, I think maybe early fifties. I can't remember. That is young. And I found out much later um, that this affected him. And, and I've actually never spoken to him directly about this. I was talking about this with my mother-in-law and she said to me that he was just convinced for much of his life that he would die at the same age as his father. And I thought, well, that's so interesting. And and when I learned about this, he had already gone past this. So I spoke to my aunt, who is a psychologist, and she said that this is actually a very, very common thing, um, more so among men than women. But it's a very, very common thing for people whose parents die young, especially if they were close to that parent, that you just cannot imagine going beyond what your parents did. And so I thought to myself, what an interesting bit of personality to, or backstory. It's not even just backstory. It's a piece of backstory that just becomes an integral part of the character. But what, what an interesting character development to give to somebody. As a viewer and reader was seeing it as Anthony was dodging love because he was afraid to lose love. Not so much. Um, a little birdie told me that the writer's room was kind of weaving it as Anthony didn't want to, like he wouldn't want to cause grief the way his father's passing caused grief for Violet. I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both. Yeah. But then after your father died, a wall went up inside you as if love had become some some weakness instead of your greatest strength and that is not you you deserve the feeling that i had the moment your father placed that ring on my finger it was a promise not just of the sacred commitment that we were making to one another but a sacred love love shall have no place in my marriage you cannot mean that i seek an amiable partner with whom i may share a pleasant life untouched by heartbreak and the ravages of grief. I felt a huge weight on my shoulders, Gabby, to, to know that I was going to be in charge of, of showing uh, Edmund Bridgerton, the father of the family, to show him alive and to show his death and to show the effects of that on both Anthony and Ruth. And we were blessed uh, to be joined by Rupert Evans as, as Edmund, uh, who's... Uh, just a, a fantastically talented actor and indeed a director, I might add. And we had a little short rehearsal for this, I think a couple of hours in an afternoon, just to get a sense of, of who he is, what his relationship was with, with Ruth, who was such a, a warm and generous actor herself. And then his relationship with, with Anthony and how much Anthony looks up to his dad. So uh, he tries to copy him. And if you look at it for a third or fourth time, you might see that, uh, that Johnny is very deliberately copying his father's body language. Mm. Um, and we talked, you know, me and Johnny talked a lot about what, what, what kind of young man is he? And it, well, he's unformed. I mean, Jonathan is, is enormously lucky himself to have a young person's face. He looks great. Uh, I hope we, we managed to, to, you know, de-age him a little bit. But actually, what it was is, is for, for Anthony, uh, his character, it's a story of how he was formed. Because before that, he's a young boy. He comes into to the breakfast. He stuffs his face. He's making like a sandwich with honey and, 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 and bacon in it. I mean, it's just a boy's sandwich, really. <laughs> You know, he goes shooting. He doesn't know how to shoot properly because he can't concentrate. He can't, he hasn't got that maturity to really control himself in the way that his father does. So all that time he's trying to learn off his father because what happens then to Anthony is he has to learn how to be someone like his father. He has to grow up and he has to grow up first because he's been peppered with questions about the house. Quite an incredible scene of being lost amongst those questions. But of course, the biggest... The biggest trial for him is uh, the birth of his sister. 
Mother, please, lie down. Still your mind. I will find out what he is asking of me and return immediately. He is asking of you to decide which one of us should live, me or the baby. You kill the baby, you save the mother. You cut the mother, you save the child. It is not your choice to make, it is mine. It is his lordship's choice. Edmund is his lordship. I mean, it was shot very simply. Any number of technical difficulties shooting that, nothing to do with the actors, <laughs> but... You know, it was raining outside, and because it was a very, very old building called uh, West Wickham, we couldn't put rain on the outside of the building, so we had to project it with 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 visual projectors onto the windows. I mean, all crazy, crazy wow. sort of technical things that we had to get around to, to, to give it that sense of a, a real elemental birthing moment, you know, the rain, the lightning, life of some kind was going to happen or death and um mm. no I, i'm very 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 proud to be part of it i've got to say it's it's just it's really heart-wrenching like she's giving birth she lost her husband there's this there's it's like a tornado of stuff that's happening and i'm wondering where you were mentally when writing about violet how and why did you like m- make that violet's experience well, Violet, it became Violet's experience because I had, the plot was developed that way for Anthony's character to create what we talked about with Anthony about him having lost his dad so young. And, you know, if you set that up, then Violet has obviously lost her husband. There's a moment in her birth scene where she's, I guess she's breached. Like, I guess the baby is not positioned correctly and it's, it could be baby or mother kind of a birth situation. Mm -hmm. And um, they're telling Anthony it's up to him to decide who would survive. That's not in the book. That's like the meanest thing to do to someone. When those pages landed on our desks, I just thank whoever that I have the opportunity and the privilege of shooting it because, again, it speaks of the universality of the childbirth experience for half our world and the dangers that are inherent in it, even in in the modern or the privileged parts of of, of the globe. But certainly, absolutely, um, a reason for for female mortality throughout the rest of the world, and that incredible decision, and the fact that doctors aren't even listening to Violet, they they need his advice because he's now Lord Bridgerton, they need his say so, and she's saying, "Do this for you know." Yeah, she screams, "Speak to me!" And I'm just like, "Oh my goodness." They're talking over her. What a intense experience it was filming that, I cannot tell you. I mean, I shot that on my birthday. I just thought, I'm so blown away by this. I don't even have the energy to speak to my family after this. (laughs) You know, I didn't tell anyone it was my birthday, but it was just like, wow. Uh, That's that's what a hell of a birthday present because the scene is so tense it's so truthful again actors are very generous you know they can Ruth can stay in character but be very humane and then when the camera's ready to roll she will go into this thing this ferocious um, mama bear thing that you come I'm terrified of you see, I'm I'm the kind of actor that loves something grim. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I really I love all of that kind of stuff. So I'm in my <laughs> I'm in my element. Can you take us on set with you to those moments? Me, Ruth, I have no children, so I've never given birth. And I needed to be able to feel that um that I got something physically right, or it was it, I mean, other people will have a judgment on whether I got it right or not, but, but at least that I was in the realm, the right realm. And I had the amazing Penny. They had a midwife come in and talk to me. Hilarious thing was, was preparing with Penny. They put us in a hotel and it was during COVID. So there was, there, there was nobody in this hotel. And we went into the dining room. So it was empty. And I virtually went through the whole stages of labor with Penny and I did think it was funny if anyone came in and sort of <laughs> wandered into the dining room while I was sort of screaming and things like that. But um, Oh, my goodness. So, Ruth, you're in this hotel. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> like, okay, let's go over what five centimeters feels like, dilated feels like now. <laughs> like, it was a bit like that. So I needed to get the physicality right first so that I felt comfortable enough that I could then concentrate on the words and uh, the scene and the grief. I- I'm not particularly a method actor. So I did preparation, but I don't sort of stay in it. So mm. I'm usually sort of trying to crack jokes in between or sort of, <laughs> you know, and, and that makes me comfortable. That makes me comfortable when I feel feel supported like that. But right. the, the crew were very, very respectful and, and lovely, but they are a lovely crew. How cool, though, like that you actually had a midwife come and go through that with you. I, I remember you all have choreographers, like you have Jack Murphy, mm-hmm. intimacy coordinators. I didn't even think to ask, did you have a, a midwife or someone very experienced in having seven plus children come and teach you the ways of the birth? Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. And she was lovely. Penny was lovely. That's amazing. The thing about Violet is that she develops a lot over the course of eight books. And in some ways, she's become one one of my favorite characters because in many ways, I spent more time with her than any of the other characters, which is ironic because she never really stars in her own book. So the development of Violet's experience and her grief and how she thinks about it actually comes through in all eight books. In terms of where I was, I I will be honest, I, I did not know that kind of grief then. You know, with Violet, I think I feel kind of bad. I mean, she ended up with this horrible grief-stricken story because I was creating this arc for her son. She just kind of came, you know, in terms of like me being the puppet master, she just got pulled along for the ride. Yeah. But- it made for such a deep and wonderful character. And the other thing I love about Violet, and, and this is something that was very purposeful, was I wanted to have a good mother. I feel like literature is just overflowing with bad mothers, you know, or or misunderstood mothers or mothers who get the blame for everything. It's just, um, but I was like, you know, let's hear it for good mothers. Let's give a, we want a good mother out there. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to give the world Violet and she's going to be the best mother there is. I just love that she has these glimmers of being this wise person, a champion for love, and then also an agent for her her body. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And she's standing right there and they're like, be quiet, oh. little lady. This young teenage boy has to figure out what to do, like save a sibling or save his mother. And she's just like he doesn't get to decide it's my body I get to decide and it's like this just little glimmer of Violet I feel like representing women's independence in a way that we see in the other female characters throughout the show absolutely I'm pretty sure she's the coolest person on the planet literally after the break we'll return with some lighter topics including Paul Mall and Anthony's quest for love Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like... 
meh. Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back. Let's return to the conversation with director Alex Pillay. Were there any moments during the game that the Bridgertons were playing with the Sharmas Palmau that were like favorite moments for you? Um, this is a lot of takes, a lot of different shots you had to catch. How did you visually tackle that? Luckily, we shot it over about two and a half days or something. And there's some basic storytelling, dialogue storytelling that was going to happen because there's dialogue in it with a... Anthony gets the better of, of Kate, or Kate gets the better of Anthony, with a, uh, Anthony's trying to show Edwina how to play, and, and Edwina fails. So you have all that. But what there isn't is any dialogue covering the actual game playing as such. Now, we had some basic rules that we had discovered or researched about how to play this game, and then we kind of made up <laughs> some ourselves, some from the book, but mostly based on the historic game of Pall Mall, and actually it was quite a complex game. Oh, cool. And towards the end of the shoot, I, I thought, shooting this sequence, I thought, well, we've done the dialogue, you've done it all brilliantly, um, we've tried to show that Edwina has been left out, she leaves, she's deflated and 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 yet Daphne's aware that Kate and Antia Anthony are kind of playing this real rivalry. Oh, yes. But I I felt there was no free form play between the between the characters. So I think on the day that we we did the kind of the mallet sharing where they, they dole out the mallets and they were all there and they fought over them and it was very quick fire dialogue and all that. Yeah. And Joey <laughs> said, God Alex, we've had such fun. And I said, look, it's a Friday, right? We've got about an hour and a half at the end of the day, and I, I just want to set it aside, and I want you guys to just play a game of Pal Mal. So uh, you'll just tee off, start on on hoop one, and we'll we'll get, and then Shelley and and Ruth and Agile would be watch, and the two children will be watching from the side, and I just want you to play. And so the last hour and a half on that Friday end of the week uh, it was a lovely there was sunshine evening sunshine coming down and they just played and badly or well i mean so i'll tell you uh phoebe was really good uh, <laughs> her ball really went through the hoop i think once which is quite a hard thing to do um and actually simone was very good as well um and they just whacked it wait were you capturing this on film yeah you know oh wow so some of that game playing is in there. You know, we're just trying to give it all a bit of mood, really. A bit of fun. <laughs> just what, why? Why do the fans love Paul Mall so much? What is that? You know, just I think that scene, it could have been anything. It didn't have to be Paul Mall. But the interaction of the characters in that scene, I think, is so familiar to anybody who ever had a brother or sister. I joke that the Bridgertons have turned croquet into a blood sport. It's just... <laughs> You know, they are so snarky with each other, you know, and that sort of sense of competitiveness you have with your siblings that you'd never quite have with anyone else as much, you know, to the point where it's just like, I don't care if I win. It's just you have to lose. You know, what is really interesting is that that scene almost wasn't in the books. What happened was, you know, I'm writing The Viscount Who Loved Me and, you know, it's it's the enemies to lovers trope. And I got to this point where they had, you know, reached a point where they they liked each other finally. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I really kind of thought this is happening too soon. And and part of that is that, you know, at that point, I think that was maybe my 10th romance novel I'd written. You have a certain feel for where things should be at what point. But it wasn't just that. It's like, okay, well, if it's happening too soon, it probably means that I didn't do a good job of showing why they no longer hate each other. And there's nothing worse than a romance novel where it's, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Why can't you tell that I love you? You know, you need to show. All right. The reader needs to know why they – and so it 
I'm reading it over. I'm like, yeah, I haven't done a good job with that. And so I tried to think, what is the one thing that could convince Kate that Anthony is not such a bad guy? And I think it was seeing him with his family, um, seeing him interact with his family, even in this, maybe especially in this crazy, snarky way. I mean, but they are ready to like hit each other over the head, but at the same time, the love is there. And you can see nobody could be a bad person who interacts with his family quite like that. Yes. And so that's why I ended up adding that scene in. And I had so much fun with it. I think it ended up being like two or three chapters long. I mean, I it was just pure fun to write. And it ended up being such a fan favorite. Okay, so that's the, so okay. My suspicions were right. It's you get to see siblings tease each other and be playful and like you said, anyone who's got siblings, they know how it is. You have the chance to best him. Well, not be very sportsmanlike, now would it? I was told unsportsmanlike conduct was a requirement for this game. Uh, fast learner you are indeed, Miss Sharma. <laughs> These eight siblings are so close and they counsel each other. They aid each other. Um, and just seeing them on a course, I kind of like saw it as like a course of life kind of a way. So maybe like a metaphor for the games of courtship that they're playing in this particular episode as well, because we see Violet and Benedict and Colin counseling and just kind of helping Anthony like figure out what's going on with his heart. Well, she's got to move them along, really, hasn't she? They'll, they'll take forever if she doesn't move them along. <laughs> so she wants them to to have a marriage full of love and she has to keep guiding them. And you could say that she points them in directions of people that are unsuitable. But then as far as she's concerned, if you don't go on a date, you're never going to bloody know. So, you know, she's got to keep doing that kind of thing. Right. Motherhood seems to suit the Duchess very well. Yes, it does. Our matchmaking efforts last season were quite wise indeed, Lady Bridgerton. Yes. Yeah. Perhaps we will have such success again, Lady Danbury. Your policy seems widely, of course. If they can somehow stay the course. I think in the books, definitely in the books, she is all they all talk at some point about how interfering their mother is. They, you know, they kind of, they're exasperated by it. But then as the mother, I think she's equally exasperated by them. Do you think Violet knew that Edwina was not the the one? It, it seems like Violet knew that or felt that. That's quite complicated in a way because I think she'd be up for it if she knew that Anthony was throwing his whole heart and soul into it. If he was, if he had fallen in love with her, then I think she would support it no matter what. But I think that I see trouble ahead if he doesn't give in and if she doesn't behave any differently. But she will support it. But she, as, as it goes on, I think you see what first of all turns out to be, seems to be Kate just putting a spanner in the works and not agreeing to the marriage, which I think Lady Danbury tells me at the, at the races. Later, I think I think she sees that there is something there that where Anthony has met his match in a way, and she just needs him to see it or at least admit it. In my opinion, Edwina left herself out. She excluded herself. She removed herself from the game, and I felt like that should have been a moment where it was very, very, very clear to Anthony, maybe I shouldn't propose to this girl and just follow my heart, but he still went for it. Is she being overshadowed by Kate, who who can't keep a lid on her own um, sharp tongue and personality, who's a better fit for the Bridgerton family? She's quick-witted, she's physically adept, uh, she's into competition. Um, Edwina is... The other thing is Edwina is very young, you know, she's 18. And in fact, there's a, there's a complicated family history. She was Mr. Sharma's child by his first wife. Uh, Edwina is the child from uh, Shelley Conn's character, Lady Sharma. Therefore, there's an age difference between them, a difference in, in, in confidence. And However, the great thing is that I do know that during this, the whole season, uh, Edwina's character grows herself. She grows up. She becomes more confident. You know, 
she's in great hands with Charitha Chandran, who is a super clever uh, person, an Oxford University graduate, I might add, and brings, you know, a real perception to the role, uh, to any acting she does, you know, real understanding and wants to know everything about the character. So, you know, she's not finished by any means. When I was thinking of this season as being like seeing the male Sikh's bride perspective of the marriage market, I realized Anthony had unfulfilled wanderlust and that his brothers are exploring their passions, the globe, etc. He's bound by duty and all of that good stuff, um, just like his sisters, and um, that his brothers get to see more and do more. Is that true, though? Yeah, in some ways. You know, I don't know if he's ever been outside the country. But in terms of having fewer opportunities than his brothers, yes, in many ways, because he has a responsibility to this, to the estate, because, you know, they, it's kind of like oldest takes all in sort of the English aristocracy or the British aristocracy, it passes down through one line. And that the idea is let's keep it at these big estates intact, you know, and they can give little bits to the unentailed parts to other siblings, whatever, but they really want to keep it intact. Whereas in there are some other countries where it's, things get divided up and then everything gets, you know, much smaller and they lose power. So this was, the idea of this was to keep the power in the family by keeping everything together. But what happens is that the oldest, you know, yeah, they're inheriting all the wealth, all the power, but it also means they're, they're really bound to it in many ways. It's a huge responsibility. And so, you know, there are cases of, you know, this infighting where maybe the younger people want to inherit or, you know, you heard all these things, you know, you know, sibling fratricide or whatever, all these things. But at the same time, I think there were a lot of younger siblings who were like, oh, my gosh, thank, thank heavens, I'm not the oldest. I mean, I, they don't get to do anything. They, they, ha they have to answer to this giant estate. And so it, it is kind of this double-edged sword where, yeah, you inherit everything. You get the title. You get the money. You get the big house. But you also get a huge amount of responsibility. And, and you can't necessarily just take off and leave. I mean, they, they looked at that a little bit in season one with, you know, Simon comes back and they discover, like, you know, some things have gone bad on his estate because he hasn't been taking care of it. And the livelihoods of hundreds and hundreds of people rely on you. So it is a very, very big responsibility. And I think he feels it very keenly. Are there any other themes that you felt like you got to really explore other than love? Friendship. It's lovely oh. in, in season two to have the relationship between uh, Violet and Lady Danbury is, is very much a given in season one, but you see more of them together and how their relationship, as as we all have relationships, they become fractured. And sometimes you forgive your friends easier than you forgive your family, but the, but you choose your friends rather than your family. So so there's that was nice to kind of delve into that those roles, really. That's right. You just reminded me there. There's a moment you, you, the two of you, are maybe not at odds, but maybe on, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you just start cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a really sweet moment. Yeah, and Adju is lovely. It's a good. It's a good relationship. <laughs> yes. Tell me about working with Adjua and Doe. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I mean, she's a stalwart of the of the theatre here, and she's. You could not pick a lovelier woman. And yeah, it's so it's nice to explore that. We have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> Do you have any other favorite moments from the entire experience of shooting season two? The people, I think it's the people that make it so wonderful. They, they are a really lovely bunch of people who are very supportive and very talented. And yeah, yeah I, there aren't any egos, which is, lovely and it's it's a joy to be part of it's exhausting uh but it's a good exhaustion you know so it's, i'm sort of proud to be part of something that they're all in and i mean crew as well you know the crew are fantastic really lovely it's nice to feel in some my new way that you're part of it i think 
one of my counterparts at Chandelin, we were t- we were really giddy when we learned we'd be talking with you. And we were like talking about all the things we have to go back and watch. And uh, <laughs> um, so this has just been really, really awesome speaking with you. Well, it's lovely speaking to you, too. Thank you so much for joining us again on this podcast. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is this is so much fun. This is as I tell people, this is way more fun than actually writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us on this deep dive into the world of Bridgerton. That's not all from Julia Quinn and Alex Pillay. Join us next week as they return to break down episode 204 with even more from behind the scenes. If you're enjoying this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, rate, or leave us a review. And if you haven't finished binging Bridgerton on Netflix, please go do that so you can enjoy all of the juicy spoilers with us. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our producer and editor is Vince DiGiani. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app or anywhere you subscribe to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.